Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. All right, Mark chapter 2. So we've been looking uh, slowly through Mark. The first chapter of Mark, everything's smooth sailing for Jesus. He doesn't seem to run into a whole lot of obstacles. Uh, you know, Mark wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He wants us to follow him. And Mark 1, people, like, people are doing it. They're listening to him. They're hearing this message that the kingdom of God is near. They're repenting. They're believing. They're being healed. Uh, people who are demonized are being uh, set free. Large crowds are following Jesus, even to the point that he has to pull back and, and stay in lonely places, wilderness places, because he can't even go into the cities because the crowds are so large. And so things, again, are, they're, they're going very well for Jesus in, in Mark chapter 1. And then, beginning in chapter 2, there's five stories in a row, and every one of them involves some level of controversy. Jesus says or does something, and people start pushing back on him. And Mark's just showing us, yes, the king is here, but the, the, kingdom, the kingdom is advancing, but it's not without opposition. And that opposition is not just demonic. There's also humans, people who get in the way or who oppose what God is doing, what the Father is doing through Jesus. So we'll look at the first one of those stories today. This is probably a familiar story to you, uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and Jesus preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now some teachers of the law were there, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. So setting backdrop. So on Saturday, Jesus was in Capernaum, and he was in the synagogue. Saturday is the Jewish day for worship. So he's in the synagogue, and he teaches, and he delivers a man who has a demon. He sets this guy free. People are amazed at his authority when he teaches, and they're astonished at his authority when he casts a demon out of this guy. And so the word about Jesus spreads throughout the whole town, actually the region, Mark says. And so Saturday night, Jesus is at Peter's house, still in Capernaum, and people gather. Mark says the whole town comes to Peter's door to be ministered to by Jesus, and he heals many people who are sick, and he drives out many demons. Sunday morning, Jesus gets up, and he withdraws to a lonely place to pray. The disciples come and say, hey, everybody's looking for you. And Jesus says, well, let's, let's leave. I need to go to some of these other towns and villages because that's, that, that's why I've come. So he goes around in Galilee and preaches and teaches in other towns. We don't know how long that, that tour is. And then in our chapter, excuse me, in our passage, we pick up with a few days later. 
So at the earliest, we're talking about Wednesday or Thursday of that week. It may be later. We don't know how long he, he traveled. We don't know is the few days from when he delivered this, de- this guy at the very end of Mark 1, or does a few days, does that constitute his entire tour of preaching in some neighboring villages? But either way, he's been gone for com- from Capernaum for at least a few days, and now he's back. Most likely, he's in Peter's house again. And a large crowd gathers, and it makes sense. In the time since Jesus has left, people have been talking about him. The town probably has 1,500 people, so everybody wouldn't know everybody. But it's probably true that everybody would know somebody who had been healed or had been delivered, or or they at least knew somebody who knew somebody that that had happened for. So there's uh, when, when Jesus comes back, again, everybody's gathering. Maybe they want to hear him. Maybe they want to see him. Maybe they're sick themselves and they want to be ministered to. So let's just assume Peter's house just for the sake of simplicity. So Jesus is in Peter's house and there's a, there's a crowd that's gathered to hear him. And he's preaching and he's teaching. And in this crowd, there's some religious leaders. I think most likely they're sitting in the front, whatever the front would look like. If it's just kind of a mob, I still think they're at the beginning of it. These guys uh, were highly esteemed, highly honored, highly respected, so they would have gotten the best seats in the room. So you can think, well, let's just say it's like this, and there's Jesus, and then there's a row of of religious leaders and teachers, and then there's this larger crowd. It wouldn't have been nearly this neat and organized, but you can kind of picture that in a house. And then you've got these four guys, and they have a friend who's paralyzed, and they hear Jesus is back, and they're thinking he can help our friend. Who knows why the friend didn't go to Jesus that Saturday night. We don't know. I mean, he obviously couldn't have walked because he's paralyzed, but they didn't take him either. So we, we don't know what's going on there. We just know, hey, Jesus is back. He's got four friends, and they say, we're getting you to Jesus. So they, imagine like a stretcher. And so each guy picks up one of, the, a, one of the, the, the ends of one of the poles, and they're walking their friend who's paralyzed to this house, to Peter's house, because that's where they know Jesus is. And as they come up on the house, they realize we're not getting them in there. There's too many people. It's packed. People are maybe hanging out the doors, looking in the windows. There's no way. And in my mind, even if the guy's legs are shriveled and atrophied, the cot's probably, I mean, it's got to be five feet long and two feet wide, I would think, for sure. And then you've got these four guys carrying it, so that makes it even bulkier. And that they're not getting through the crowd. And they realize they're not getting through the crowd, but they're not deterred. Most of the houses would have an outdoor staircase that would go to the roof. The roof was flat. It was kind of like a deck for us. That would be the the function of that. And so they just go up the steps onto the roof. The roof would have uh, beams, kind of like one of our roofs, and then be crisscrossed with smaller branches, then with thatch and mud to kind of make, to seal it up. So not super hard to dig through, but I'm assuming they didn't bring shovels. So I guess they're using their hands and they just start digging. And again, in my mind, it's a pretty big hole. If the cot, the stretcher is five by two, that's a 10 square foot hole that they're cutting in somebody else's roof, Peter's roof, to get in front of, Luke says they drop him right in front of Jesus. That's what Luke says in his version of the story. So you just think about that. We'll pause here. The friends actually fade out of the story pretty quickly. When the when the paralyzed man is 
lowered in front of Jesus. And I don't know if like two of the guys jumped down and they got him or if they just started dropping the cot and it was kind of like you either grab it or he's going to land on you. But however, they get the man down there. And Jesus says because of their faith. And I don't think he's talking about the paralyzed man because the paralyzed man hadn't done anything. I think he's talking about the faith of these four men. Because of their faith, Jesus turns to this guy and says, your sins are forgiven. Again, those guys fade out of the picture after that. So just we'll pause on them for a minute. You think about what those guys did. Jesus, I don't think it's any supernatural insight that he has when he says because of their faith. I don't think he's seeing into their soul. I think he's just looking at their actions and going, this is, there, there's evidence here that's obvious to everyone that they, are, they fully believe that I can help their friend. Look at the links that they went to to get their friend in front of me. They brought him here. They weren't deterred by a crowd. They climbed up on a roof. They cut a hole in the roof. Of, again, it, it's not theirs. Maybe they knew Peter, but maybe they didn't. But even if they did, they didn't ask for permission. It's going to cause a scene. Imagine if right now somebody started cutting a 10-foot square hole in the roof. You're not listening to me anymore. We're all looking to see what's going on. Stuff is dropping on your head. That's what's going on. And they drop him in front of Jesus. Imagine if you're in the crowd and you wanted Jesus to maybe say something to you or pray for you. These guys jump right to the front of the line. They cut. They, they, he puts them right in front of Jesus. They're, we, we could say things like, they're rude. They, they, again, they cut in line. They destroyed somebody else's property. And what, but Jesus doesn't condemn them. He commends them. He says, because of your faith, in response to your faith, I'm going to heal your friend. There's this interesting parable in Luke 11. It'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. So he gives them the Lord's Prayer, and he flows right out of the Lord's Prayer into this parable. Jesus said, suppose you have a friend, and you go to this friend at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children are I, and, and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So the picture there is... Uh, Middle Eastern hospitality, really high value. So if somebody comes to your house, even at midnight, you have a responsibility to, to provide a meal for them, and a meal being three loaves of bread. Meals, bread's cooked in the morning. It's, nobody's got any by midnight. They've eaten it. So when the guy comes to your house, you don't have any bread. Who knows why you think your neighbor has bread, but you go and knock on the door because it's your responsibility to take care of this guest. One-room house, so you've got mom and dad and kids all sleeping in the same room. You're banging on the door. You're waking up the dad. You're also going to wake up the kids, and you say, give me some bread. Again, no reason to think they've got any. You don't. They probably don't either, but you've got to do something. And so you're pounding on the door saying, give me some bread for this guest. And the, the point of the parable, and it's a bit of a ridiculous story a little bit. It's exaggerated to a point because what Jesus is trying to get us to see is that guy's going to get up and help his friend, not because he's his friend, but basically just to get him to be quiet. And that word, shameless audacity, is very difficult to understand and translate. Your Bible may say boldness or persistence 
or bold persistence. It's a difficult word because it's usually a negative word. But in this case, it's not. It's what Jesus is grabbing onto and saying, pray like that. That's what, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the kind of guy who digs a hole in a roof and cuts in line. Who's that committed, who believes that much that I can help them, or in our case, even more, that I can help their friend. That you're willing to, you don't let a crowd deter you. You don't let the fact that it's midnight stop you. You don't worry about the fact that he probably doesn't have any bread just because, like, you don't have any bread. You're not worried about waking up his kids. You're not worried about waking up the neighbors. You're not worried about property damage. You're not worried about propriety. At this point, you're not even worried about disturbing Jesus. There's stuff falling off the, out of the roof. You're not worried about any of that. You're so committed, so convinced the goodness of God, the willingness of God to act, whatever it takes. That shameless audacity. And Jesus says, that's what I'm looking for in prayer. Nothing necessarily have anything to do with emotion. It has to do with this active trust, this full conviction and commitment that says he can help. And so whatever it looks like for me to get in front of him, or again, in our story, whatever it looks like for me to get my friends in front of him, that's what I'm going to do. And the way we do that, you know that, is, is prayer. We pray. That's, that's our version of Mark 2. We don't have to cut a hole in a roof and drop somebody through. We pray. We intercede for others. We ask God to get involved in the lives of those people that we love. And not just necessarily in a sweet and polite way, although that's better than nothing, but in a shamelessly audacious way. In a persistently bold way. A way that says, spiritually, whatever it looks like for me to tear a hole in a roof, I'm going to do that. I don't care if it makes a scene. I love this person. And you all have people like that. We have people in our church like that. People who have cancer. People who are struggling to have children. People who are wrestling with major decisions in their life. People who wrestle with anxiety and depression. People who have chronic autoimmune diseases. We have people in our church. You have people in your life. There's no, ex- there's no solutions out there for them. Jesus is, he's what we have. And we have the privilege and we have the responsibility as their friends. To go get them. Put them on a mat. Take them to Jesus. Dig a hole in the roof. Make a scene. Cut in line. Not because of anything... It's not about, it's not for us. It's for them. You can do that 24 hours a day, anytime you want, in prayer. And that point of that parable in Luke 11 is it's a how much more. If this guy in this parable gets up, and he's just a guy, and he's kind of grouchy, and he's probably a bit of a jerk, God's not, God's none of those things. And Jesus goes on to say after that, Your Father in heaven delights in giving good gifts. 
to his kids. If this guy, who's honestly a bit of a grouchy jerk, if he's going to respond, how much more will a good father? So I want you to keep that in mind. Privilege and responsibility. Are you convicted that Jesus can actually help in these circumstances? Do you genuinely believe, not just intellectually, are you moved actively to say, he, he can help you? And are you committed to getting your friends in front of him, whether that's praying for them in the privacy of your own home or even at times praying for them in their presence, not necessarily in this room, but doing that? If you're not, I would just ask God to say, convince me. Like, I want to be there. I'm just not. I'm not there. If there's a crowd in the way, honestly, I just go home. That's, that's the extent. I, I, I get discouraged easily. I'm not really sure. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not convinced in my heart that you will do anything. Ask him to help you with that. He will. Read the gospels and read them slow. Those stories, we know all the miracle stories. Read them a little bit slower. Put yourself in them. That'll help you. But also ask the Lord. He'll begin to show you what it looks like to be convinced that he is able, and that you'll sense that shameless audacity kind of growing in your heart. Okay, so then Jesus says to this guy, your sins are forgiven, and that's not what we were thinking he would say. And honestly, that's not why the friends brought the paralyzed man to Jesus. They wanted him to get up and walk. So that's a bit of a, uh, that's a surprise. It's unexpected. Why is he talking about that? And then the religious leaders, who again, I think are right here on the front row, they're going, what? What? He, why would he say that? That's blasphemous. Only God can forgive sins. Basically, who does this guy think he is? And to be honest, they're right. It is blasphemous. So if I punch Ryan in the face, Mallory can't forgive me. Ryan has to forgive me because I've sinned against him. Even as his wife, Mallory doesn't have the authority to forgive me on Ryan's behalf. The person who sinned against, that's who, that's who offers forgiveness. And so we can say in one sense, every sin is a sin against God because he's the one that makes the rules. And so sometimes our sins are against one another. Every sin is against the Lord. But in this case specifically, Jesus ties this guy's physical condition and his spiritual condition together. Conventional wisdom is if you have a condition like this, like paralysis, you're being punished by God. You see that in John 9 when the, Jesus and the disciples come upon a man who's blind and they say, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus in that case says neither one of them. This is not a result of sin. In our case, it does seem to be. But regardless of that, Jesus at a minimum is playing on that conventional wisdom, the understanding that everybody in the house has. The reason this guy's paralyzed is because he sinned and God is punishing him. So Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they're going, you can't do that. He sinned against God. God is the only one who can forgive him. And again, they're right. It's blasphemy unless Jesus has been given authority from the Father to forgive sins. Those are your only two options. Either Jesus is taking on a prerogative that's God's alone, or he is God. And those are the two choices. And so Jesus, I think at this time, I think it is supernatural knowledge. I do think the Holy Spirit is giving him insight into the hearts and the minds of these guys. And he's going, why are you thinking these things? 
about me. Which one's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And what I would say is well, it's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven. Anybody can say that. And there's no external way of verifying whether that, did, whether that is or is not true. Like, you don't know. We don't know. I can say your sins are forgiven. We don't know. If I say get up and walk, you either get up or you don't. I think what, but I, I think what Jesus is probably saying is both of those things are equally difficult or impossible for people, and both of those things are equally easy for God. We don't forgive sins, and we can't heal paralyzed people, and God does both. And what, again, what he's doing is he's playing on the, the idea of everyone in the room that this guy's sickness, his paralysis, is tied to his sin. And so when pronouncing his sins are forgiven, he is saying, you can get up and walk now because the reason you couldn't walk was because of your sins. And Jesus says very explicitly, I want y'all to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Son of Man is a title that Jesus uses about himself. It's his uh, favorite way of talking about himself. It's an Old Testament title, and it's ambiguous, which is what Jesus likes. It doesn't have all of the baggage of Messiah. So he doesn't go around calling himself the Messiah because everybody has a preconceived understanding of what the Messiah would be, who, uh, how the Messiah would act. Son of man doesn't have all of, those, uh, all of that baggage attached to it. So Jesus gets to fill it out. He gets to invite people to explore a little bit of who he is. So when, he's when he says the son of man, he's, he's talking about himself in the third person. I want you to know that I have the authority to forgive sins. And that's kind of mind-blowing. So Jesus has just moved himself out of the category of rabbi or even, or even wonder-working rabbi, rabbi who heals people. He's moved himself out of that category. He's actually moved himself out of the common understanding of Messiah. The Messiah would be someone who absolutely was called and empowered by God, but still just a man. Certainly no one who's forgiving sins on God's behalf. That's not, a, that's not in there that that would be something the Messiah would do. And so Jesus has created a new category for himself, and he's saying, I want y'all to know that. There's something, I'm not just a rabbi, I'm not even just a wonder-working rabbi, I'm actually not even Messiah in the way you guys are thinking about it. I'm, God's given me the authority to forgive sins, which is another way of saying I'm, I'm God. And remember, that's part of Mark's point, to convince us that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So the, the religious leaders are correct in their initial reaction. And Jesus, he's not baiting them, he's wanting to reveal himself to them at this point. There's not, at this point, we, we haven't seen any controversy between Jesus and the religious leaders. That'll come later. At this point, I think Jesus is just trying to say, let me give you a, a, a glimpse into who I am. And again, in this case, this man's particular sins are, and, and, and sickness are tied together. So to forgive sins is to pronounce healing because the reason he can't walk is because, of, and, and again, that's kind of above our pay grade, but... The reason he can't walk is because of some sin issues in his life. And so Jesus says to the guy, get your mat and go home. Which again, when the guy gets up, it's saying, see, he's forgiven. And everybody is amazed, and rightfully so. We get caught up in the showstopper. A paralyzed man is now walking. What Jesus is trying to communicate is, I have the authority to forgive sins. That's a, that is actually the more significant of those two exchanges. It's that Jesus can forgive sins. 
Obviously, the healing is wonderful. And if you're that guy, it's changed your life. But what Jesus is trying to communicate is, I have the authority to, to stand in the place of God and to say sins are forgiven. So we're going to close this morning with communion. We've got to, we have some time for communion and ministry. And I want to give you two options. Yep, I'll give you two options. And I would love for you to pick one or the other. Let's say today you're either the paralytic or you're the friend. At different times in our life, we're, we, we all play both of those. And honestly, at times, we're, we're both at the same time. Some of you have a, have a significant need this morning, and specifically around healing, and we want to pray for you. That's our theme for the week for Lent. Jesus heals all our diseases. And so we want to pray for you, if you're sick, that you would be healed. We'll have ministry teams here up in the front. They'll have some oil. They'll make a cross on your hand, and they'll pray very simply for Jesus to heal you. You don't have to give them your whole medical file. You can just say, this is where I'm struggling and we'll pray, and we'll just trust Jesus to meet you uh, and to heal you, whatever that happens to look like. So if that's you, we want you to take advantage of these teams. If you're here today and you're like, you know what? I'm actually, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm healthy. I don't, I don't have any sick, I don't have any issues around sickness. I would encourage you, okay, put yourself in the frame, in the mindset of the friends. Who that you love is paralyzed metaphorically, who needs Jesus? And what would it look like for you this morning to dig a hole in the roof in order to get them in front of him? I'm not, they're not in the room. I'm just asking you prayerfully, what would that look like for you? And we want to give you an opportunity to come and kneel. I don't, it may get too crowded up here, but we'll try it. If it doesn't work, then, well, we, won't, we don't have a redo. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So just do the best that you can. You can maybe kneel. Will you grab that, Jack, all that stuff off of the... Thanks, Aaron. So y'all can kneel on these side um, little chairs, or you can kneel at the altar if you can, or you can stand if you're more comfortable. We want to give you a chance to take a, a physical step, saying, I'm, I'm not just going to... There's nothing wrong with praying in your seat, but again, there's something about that physical action. And so we want to give you an opportunity to pray. And if you come forward for prayer, and so this is going to be the stretch. That, for some, is a stretch. The second thing would be, I want you to pray out loud for whoever it is you're praying for. I, I just, you don't have to yell, but I don't want you to just think. I want you to actually pray out loud for whoever it is that you're bringing before Jesus. And again, for some of you, that is a massive massive, you would rather cut a hole in the roof, honestly, than pray out loud. But it's, you're self-conscious about that. And I recognize that. And I want to encourage you to push through. You don't have to pray for five minutes. You don't have to pray for 30 seconds. I just want to encourage you to pray out loud from the front for your paralyzed friend, whoever that is for you that you're saying between now and Easter, Jesus, I, they need you. They need you. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone who's not a believer. Again, we're people in our church who have cancer. We have people in our church who are struggling in, in many ways, and you may know them, or maybe somebody outside. I think I've explained that enough. So you come forward for communion. You'll come forward down the front, take communion, break off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, gluten-free communion, and those uh, prepackaged deals if you like that better. And then break off, and when you go to the side, you can either stop 
pray out loud for your friend, or get prayer from the teams if you are sick. And don't, and we want you to do that. Like there's not a better or worse today. It's not like, oh, if I was a real Christian, I'd be praying for someone else instead of receiving prayer. Not true. It's not true at all. If you're sick, we want to pray for you. And that's what we want to do. And so we will go a little bit slower. We have enough time. We'll go a little bit slower through the line just to make sure that we create space up here. And when you're done, just go back to your seat and it'll create room for other people. Good? It's a lot of explaining. Okay. Come and help if you're helping. Please. Bo. Jesus, we want to acknowledge this morning that you have the authority to forgive us of our sins and to heal us of our diseases. And so we ask you to do both. Holy Spirit, would you now in this moment search us and know us, bring to our mind any ways in our lives that are offensive to you. You can see what comes up to your mind. And you just confess that to the Lord. Place where you haven't been loving towards him or towards others. God, we're grateful that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so we can come forward and participate in this remembrance with hearts that are clean. I pray for all of us that we would hear you speaking over us. You're forgiven. You're restored. God, we're also thankful that because of the death of Jesus, we can boldly approach your throne of grace. We're thankful that you're not like a grouchy neighbor who eventually will respond just to get us to be quiet. That you're you're a good father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. So we pray for those in our midst, those who are online who are sick today. Would you heal them? And God, we're grateful that we can bring others into your presence as well. And so would you increase our faith in praying for other people? Would you stir within us that sense of shameless audacity that we would boldly and persistently bang on the door? on behalf of others and would you move in their lives in a way that would bless them and honor you in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week